All right, well, we're going to go back to Matthew chapter 2 again, and I want to look um, more at the gifts of the uh, Magi as we prepare for the Lord's Supper this morning. And, uh, you know, I heard of a survey that was taken about um, who are the... What people do you most enjoy uh, buying a Christmas gift for? And uh, at the top of the list, as you can imagine, is children. People love to buy Christmas gifts for children. And guess who was at the bottom of the list for favorite people to buy Christmas gifts for? Dads. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know if that encourages you or discourages you this morning. Hopefully, man, you got a gift uh, yesterday, but uh, I thought that was a, a little interesting. Well, um, again, the Magi brought gifts to uh, the, the uh, little child, the Lord Jesus Christ. They were Magi. They were wise men. Um, Talked about this uh, last week, but uh, Magi were spiritual uh, advisors, uh, very highly sought out spiritual advisors uh, for monarchies, especially in the East. Um, monarchs, uh, various kingdoms would would seek out Magi to come and have them anoint uh, a new king that was going to rule over them. Uh, they weren't kings. These magi weren't kings, but they were king makers. Uh, they anointed uh, new kings uh, of uh, various monarchies. Uh, they had tremendous political influence. As we uh, have read the, studied the book of Daniel, we see uh, the, the influence of the Magi and the fact that uh, Daniel uh, was able to interpret dreams that the Magi couldn't, and so he was appointed to serve over the Magi. But uh, Magi were very much a part of a king's uh, inner circle. And uh, the Magi, uh, we've, we've, we've learned that uh, Magi probably existed around the, the 700 or 800 years before Christ. And they lasted a long time. Um, Magi were from the um, ancient uh, Iranian people. And uh, they were a priestly tribe of the Medes, um, the Magian tribe. And uh, in order to be a Magi, you had to be born into um, that particular line of people. It was a hereditary office similar to the Levites of, uh, of Israel. But again, um, these these magi were king makers, and um, those who had come to um, present gifts to uh, the 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 infant Christ, the little child, the Christ. He was probably around two years old at this time. Uh, these magi, in particular, were God seekers. They were God fears, and they were very familiar with uh, the uh, Jewish Old Testament. Um, 
Daniel and uh, the Israelites when they came from Jerusalem, when Babylon overran Jerusalem and uh, they were taken into exile. When the Israelites came to uh, Babylon, they brought with them the Old Testament scriptures. And so through that relationship with uh, Daniel, uh, the, bad, the Magi learned um, what, what to uh, anticipate in the, the coming Messiah. And when nobody else cared, when nobody else was looking for Messiah, the Magi were. Now, I've, I've read that uh, the Magi um, traveled from four to eight hundred miles away to come and present their gifts. But uh, as we looked at last week, uh, the Magi saw a star uh, shining over um, the Judea area. And uh, as they saw that star, they began to travel to Jerusalem. And uh, on their travels to Jerusalem, they lost sight of the star. The star quit shining. But they knew enough to go to Jerusalem because a king, they knew that a king had been born. So if a king was born, the most likely place that they would find the king would be in Jerusalem. But uh, when they got to Jerusalem, when they asked Herod, uh, this caught Herod totally off guard. Uh, he wasn't anticipating any uh, king. He hadn't heard of any uh, infant king born. And so he went to his religious leaders. And his religious leaders quoted from Malachi chapter 5. And uh, they weren't surprised to hear this news. And uh, if this king were born, he was to be born in Bethlehem. And so this is what they told Herod. And, uh, you know, them knowing this information, never once did they bother to go to Bethlehem themselves and check this out. Bethlehem was five miles from Jerusalem. And yet they had no desire. They weren't even curious about uh, investigating. And it was these Gentile, um, Gentile magi who came and told these religious leaders, King Herod, that there was a, a newborn king uh, in their midst. And so learning that uh, this baby was had been born in Jerusalem, that this is where he was to be born, the Magi go to Bethlehem. And on going to Bethlehem, the Bible says they see the star again. And they're excited about seeing the star. And this star leads them to the house where the Christ child uh, was. So was this a celestial star that, uh, you know, we've kind of grown up with in church and, and uh, that this was part of uh, the, the, the stars that we see at night? We don't know for sure. Um, I like to think that this was most likely uh, the glory of God, um, his Shekinah glory that was being uh, shown to people who were in search of the Savior, who were seekers of the truth, because not everybody saw the star. 
Bible says the Magi saw the star. But in their hearts, they were looking for the newborn king. And God showed himself to them and led them right to where the Christ child was. And when they came to his house and saw the Christ child, the Bible says that they fell down and worshipped him. And as they worshipped him, they presented to, to, to this Jesus uh, three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we are very familiar with that. And, and these gifts are symbolic of the roles that Jesus would fulfill in his earthly life ministry. Uh, these were prophetic gifts. Uh, gold represented it, representing royalty, that he was king. Uh, frankincense representing the fact that he was a priest. He was to be a priest. And he is our great high priest today. And then myrrh uh, symbolizing the, um, the, the sacrificial lamb that he would become. So I want to look at gold for just a moment. And, um, you know, the Bible says that um, in Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6, uh, some people believe that when they presented the gold and frankincense and myrrh, that this was uh, a partial fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6 says, A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord." So we see this prophecy in Isaiah chapter 60. Uh, obviously, this is not a fulfillment of all that God was uh, doing uh, in Israel. What God's going to do with Israel is yet to come, according to Isaiah chapter 60. But this was this could have been uh, a very much a partial fulfillment uh, of that particular verse. But when they presented the gold to this uh, this Christ child, they knew that this child was king of Israel. Now, when you think of Christ as king, uh, Scripture uh, talks about the the Messiah being king of Israel uh, a little over a hundred times, and. Uh, the Bible talks about the kingdom of heaven uh, 70 times and the kingdom of God 32 times. And Jesus is the king of heaven. He is the kingdom of God. And right now as king, he, he uh, reigns in a spiritual kingdom. But one day he's going to be coming back, and he's going to reign in an earthly kingdom uh, forevermore. And so we uh, still anticipate his uh, second coming. But when Jesus, in the last um, portion, uh, his week of passion before he was crucified, you know, the Bible says in John chapter 12, verse 13, uh, the 
the uh, the crowds anticipated uh, Jesus's coming into Jerusalem, and uh, the crowds when he came riding in on a donkey, uh, they believed in their heart of hearts that he was coming as king to reign then uh, and to to come and uh, rule over the, the land of Israel and to conquer the Roman army. The Bible says in, in John chapter 12, verse 13, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. This is what they were shouting as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. They believed he was king at the beginning of that week. At the end of the week, they did not believe that he was king. Uh, they did... They thought that, you know, that he was going to conquer Rome and Jesus is talking about dying uh, for mankind. And this wasn't their idea of a Messiah. And we learn at the uh, just before Jesus is crucified that um, uh, he has a conversation with Pilate and Pilate uh, asks Jesus, are you king of the Jews? Uh, and Pilate was intimidated by Jesus. He was intimidated by the crowds. He didn't want to kill this person who hadn't done anything wrong. And, uh, and so, you know, they tried, he tried to manipulate the crowd. Pilate did. He had, uh, Jesus, uh, uh beaten, um, uh, <clears throat> bloody. He was mocked. He was, uh, they put a crown of thorns on him. They put a purple robe on him and made fun of him and, and uh, pulverized him and then brought him before the crowd and gave the crowd a choice. Do you want to, to who do you want me to set free, Pilate said. Do you want this man Jesus set free? And here he is, beaten to a pulp. And then there's Barabbas next to him, a, a thief, a murderer, and uh, Pilate lets the crowd decide. And the crowd says, we want Barabbas set free. Uh, we want Jesus crucified. And uh, Jesus says, but this is your king. And the crowd said, this isn't our king. Caesar's our king. And we reject him. And they call out, crucify, crucify. And they, and that's what Pilate does. He sends Jesus to the cross and uh, nailed over Jesus's head. Pilate had these words described over his head. Jesus, King of the Jews. John chapter 19, uh, verse 19. Why is this happening in Jesus's life? You know, the Bible says that Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, that he had to leave heaven's glory. He had to leave the throne, the right hand of the Father, and become one of us. In verses 5 through 11, it says this, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus first had to go through suffering. He had to pay the price for our sin. And as he died in our place, and he took the punishment upon, upon himself, it was after that that the Bible says that God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. And today, church, Jesus is king. He was king through the suffering. He was king on the cross. And he had to go through that suffering for every one of us. But in dying and in, in coming back to life, Jesus uh, be, continued to be king. And he rules spiritually in hearts and lives today and sits at the right hand of the Father. But he is king of a spiritual kingdom. And one day is going to come and rule an earthly kingdom. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, when Jesus comes back on that that, uh, white horse written on his thigh are going to be the words, King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is going to wipe out all the enemies and he's going to come and set up his earthly kingdom. Magi knew this. This little child, maybe two years old, they knew that he was king and they gave him gold, symbolizing the fact that he was royalty. And so my question to you, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus the Lord, the master of your life? He needs to be. He wants to be. And until he's Lord of your life, you're not his child. Luke chapter 6, verse 46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Jesus is Lord to those who obey him, who know his word, who follow his word, follow his commands. If you struggle in your relationship with God this morning, you question whether you're a Christian or not, You don't have to if you would just obey what the Word says. Those who do what the Lord says, He is Lord of their lives. So, gold, symbolizing the fact that Jesus is royalty. And then they gave Him frankincense. Frankincense symbolizing the fact that Jesus is priest 
uh, these magi brought the substance that they knew were, was a tool for the priests of the Jewish temple. And uh, this, this frankincense is a resin or a gum that comes from a tree uh, not in um, the land of Israel. It comes from the Arabia Peninsula. So it's something that comes from uh, someplace else. It's imported in. But uh, this uh, frankincense is uh, something that the priests use in Israel. We find it in Leviticus chapter 2, verse 1, when it comes to the grain offering. Uh, frankincense is a fragrant aroma that is to be sprinkled over the, the bread or the grain offering that uh, uh, Israelites Jews would bring to uh, the temple, but uh, it was um, it was an important part of uh, the worship that uh, the priests used. Now, I think of this um, this gift, frankincense. You know, yesterday we had Christmas. I know in our household we had children opening gifts. And uh, nobody received frankincense. And uh, probably where you were at, nobody got frankincense either. But here this two-year-old uh, got frankincense. Why did they give why did the Magi give Jesus frankincense? Because they knew that he was to be a priest. Um you know, I, I think of uh, the gift <laughs> yesterday. Uh, we have uh, two-year-olds, or not two-year-olds, it's their second Christmas in our family. And uh, and so Christmas was was more special this year because they understand more than they did last year, but they still don't understand a, very, a whole lot. But uh, guess who got the most kit, uh, go, most Christmas gifts uh, this Christmas in our family? It was the two-year-olds. You know, it's interesting that uh, we uh, we have our tradition is we don't open up presents all at once. We go around the room. We start with the youngest and go through the oldest. I won't tell you who the oldest is, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't Susan. But um, but uh, but we we went, got through all our gifts. But uh, the the two that still had gifts left over still to open were the were the one-year-olds, Kenzie and Levi. And so it took forever for them to open uh, their gifts. But you know the greatest thing about yesterday and all those gifts? When Christmas was over, mom and dads got to take those gifts home with them. They didn't stay at our house. And uh, what a blessing that was. But, uh, yeah, Kenzie and Levi... They didn't get any frankincense. What an unusual gift to give to a little child. But Magi gave frankincense to this this child named Jesus because they knew he was going to be a priest. And he is our high priest. 
And Jesus, being our high priest, is far superior to the Levites in the Old Testament. You know, the Bible says that uh, when uh, Jesus went through the suffering, died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended to the Father in heaven, the Bible says that he sat down at the right hand of God. You know, Levites never had the opportunity to sit down. When they were serving in the temple, they were always on. They were always standing. They were always busy doing something. But this what this is what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 9 through 14. Jesus came to do the Father's will. He did away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, speaking of the Levites, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now, church, because it is finished. What Jesus did was final. It is. It was complete. He said, it is finished. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father and is today making intercession for you and I um, as our great high priest. You know, the only, the only people who sat down next to a monarch were generals and magi. But today, our king, our high priest, sits next to our father in heaven. He is at his right hand. He is our great high priest. The Magi knew this and presented this child with frankincense, a tool of worship for the priests of the temple. And then the third gift was myrrh. A most, the most curious gift of all. What is myrrh? Myrrh is a resin that comes from a reddish, thorny, low-growing tree. Myrrh is um, mentioned 17 times in the Bible. And uh, oftentimes it was used as perfume. If you read the book of Esther, uh, myrrh was used as a uh, beauty treatment. And uh, Esther went through this beauty treatment uh, for a whole calendar year before she was presented to to the king. Um, In Proverbs chapter 7, 
um, it talks about a harlot. And a harlot would use you to would use myrrh to um, um, tempt those whom she was trying to seduce. Verse seventeen says, "I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon." Myrrh was also used as a painkiller for Jesus on the cross. But he refused that painkiller because he wanted to um, experience all of that suffering that he was going through for our sin, for our salvation. Myrrh was also used as an antiseptic for mouthwash to prevent gum disease. But uh, the myrrh that uh, we're probably most familiar with its use was used as an embalming fluid. And uh, this is what um, uh, the, the women who uh, wanted to uh, care for Jesus' body as it had come down from the had come down from the cross and after the the, the Sabbath uh, well, I'm not sure it was uh, it was the women or if it was um, um, Nicodemus and uh, yeah the the, uh, the the one who had the tomb Joseph is it was Joseph Arimathea I think they took the the um, the myrrh, and they wanted to prepare Jesus's body for for burial. And again, it was kind of a perfume, but it was an outer covering that kept the body from stinking. And uh, uh, and <clears throat> there was a lot of myrrh that would be put on the body of a dead person. But again, this myrrh is prophetic, symbolizing. Uh, the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I believe the Magi knew exactly the gifts that they, they were presenting to Jesus. I believe the Magi were very familiar with Isaiah chapter 53, and that Jesus was to be the suffering servant, and that one day that Jesus would be dying for the sin of mankind. What an unusual gift to present a child. And here Mary is taking all of this in. Her son has been presented gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And she is learning some things about who her child is. You know, and this is the third time that... uh, this concept of a um, of a sacrifice that he would die for the, the sin of the people that this is what her child was going to go through in Luke chapter 2 verse 12 we learn um, from the shepherds when the angels had come the angel had come to the shepherds and uh, they said in verse 12 of Luke 2, he says, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Sw- swaddling cloth. What is swaddling cloth? Shepherds knew what swaddling cloth was. Swaddling cloth was what um, would, that the... Um, 
the lambs that were born that were being protected and prepared for uh, sacrifice in the temple, those lambs were to be wrapped in swaddling cloth because they were going to be the perfect sacrifice that were to be slain. And so as the shepherds went to the stable and were looking for the Christ child, they were looking for a child who would be wrapped in swaddling cloth because he would be the future sacrificial lamb for the sin of the people. And so this was the first sign to Mary. And then we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, that um, after the days of purification had passed, uh, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And we see in uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 34, Simeon, a man named Simeon, who was in the temple, and uh, Simeon was looking for the Christ child. And he knew that this was the Jesus, the, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. And this is what Simeon told Mary in verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. Very something's going to happen to your little baby that is going to pierce through your own soul. So this was the second message. And then here the Magi come some 18 to 24 months later and present this Christ child with myrrh, which is used in preparing a body for burial. Mary, your baby has been born to die. Not just any death, but the death that will take away the sin of the people. And so we come to the Lord's Supper. Jesus says that we are to Take this Lord's Supper as a reminder regularly of the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you and I. Jesus died the death that you and I deserved. He took our sin upon himself. And so this morning, we want to recognize that and know that What Jesus did was the ultimate and final sacrifice that we don't have to sacrifice anymore. Jesus became that final sacrifice. But not only that, but as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, when Jesus was born, he was born into our brokenness. He was born into our darkness. 
he was born as the light, the true light of the world. But Jesus was born as a man. And the Bible says that he went through everything that you and I go through, yet without sin. Jesus knows pain and suffering. Jesus knows physical pain. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 52, verse 14, His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and His form beyond that of the children of mankind. Jesus knows physical suffering and pain. Jesus knows emotional pain. Jesus knows what it's like to lose a friend and yet bring that friend back to life in Lazarus. Jesus knows what it's like for all of his friends for to forsake him in his deepest, darkest hour. Jesus knows emotional pain. And then Jesus knows spiritual pain. Jesus took the weight of the sin of the world upon himself and died. Jesus knows our darkness, our suffering. And so as we take the Lord's Supper this morning, I want to prepare us to prepare our hearts remembering the great sacrifice that he made for us. But then also, some of you are going through a dark time right now. This Christmas particularly is difficult. You're alone. But Jesus knows. He was born into your darkness. He understands loss. And He's here for you. And you know, as we take this supper this morning, we remember His suffering, but also we, we remember that He knows our suffering. And we commune with Him in this Lord's Supper in the most humblest of places so that we might know that God understands where you're at and when we can glorify him in our darkest place we glorify him And it's a reminder to us that God is with us. He is our light and He is going to see you through. That's the Christmas story. Caught me off guard when the children's musical, the title of their song was, uh, or the title of their program was, uh, Glory to God in the Lowest. But you know what? 
God came to the lowest of places to show people his love and that he is there for them. So I want us to take the supper this morning. First and foremost, we take the supper to remind, be reminded of the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us, but then also in reminding ourselves that Jesus knows our suffering. And in the midst of our suffering, we need to continue to glorify him, to be thankful for what he, we're going through because he is there with us and he is going to see us through. So if you have your Lord's Supper kit, peel off the por- top portion and you can take the bread. And the Bible says on the night that he was portrayed, when he was meeting with his disciples in the upper room, he took the bread and he blessed the bread. Let's bless the bread this morning. Father, I thank you for this simple yet profound reminder of Jesus, all that you've gone through for us, for our salvation, for the forgiveness of our sin, for the deliverance from the the bondage of sin and death in this world. And so, Lord, as we take this bread this morning, we know that this represents your body that was broken, that was given for us, completely given for us on that cross. And this morning we say thank you. And thank you for understanding our suffering and what we go through in times of darkness. That you are the light of the world And we thank you that our darkness will never overcome your light. Your light will forever shine. And we give you thanks this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. And Jesus took the bread and he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. after they ate the bread then they took up the cup you peel the the layer off the cup and let's bless the cup this morning Father I thank you for this profound reminder that you shed your blood for our sin and that your blood All of your blood covers all of our sin. Father, it's only by believing what you did on that cross for us that we can be saved. It's by your blood that we were set free. So we drink this in remembrance of you. In Christ's name. Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. 
do this in remembrance of me. This morning, Lord Jesus, we do remember. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for being born in this world so that you might be the God-man who would die for our sin. And when you did that, Lord, you said it is finished. Three days later, after you died, you came back from the grave. Forty days after that, you ascended to the right hand of your Father, and you sat down. Thank you, Father, for being that high priest that intercedes for us. We love you, and we praise you, and I pray that you would encourage your brothers, your, your, your sons and daughters, as they go through times of difficulty. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And I trust that God has spoken to your heart this morning as we've looked at these three gifts.